This edition of the Denver Press Club is sponsored by the Denver Press Club and the Colorado Chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists. I'm Teresa Marchetta. I am a news anchor and investigative reporter for Denver 7, and it is my honor to be your master of ceremonies this evening for the 22nd annual Damon Runyon Award Banquet. 22nd annual. That's worth applauding. This award really um, helps us honor just legendary journalists and storytellers, and tonight again we are gathered to celebrate journalism and the great legacy of Damon Runyon. So as you'll hear later, we're going to honor one of the nation's best police reporters with the Al Nakula Award. We will also honor six promising young journalists with this year's Runyon Scholars. Of course, we're going to celebrate the career of Jill Abramson tonight, the honoree and winner of the 22nd annual Damon Runyon Award. Back before, before he was Robin's husband, back before he was the governor, um, this certain gentleman had a history with the Runyon Awards, volunteering since the very first, being a part of supporting the effort through specially labeled brews for this event. Um, governor Hickenlooper has been an integral part of the Denver Press Club and the Runyon Awards since the Runyon Awards started. So it is my honor tonight to introduce our governor, John Hickenlooper. Thank you, Teresa. <clears throat> Oops, I better put this up. Um, and of course, I don't really belong here because I didn't cut it as a journalist. That was the goal. Uh, some of you heard the story, Gil Spencer, who for a while was the editor of the Denver Post, was my Little League baseball coach. And there was a pivotal moment after my freshman year in college where for a moment it seemed like I would go intern at the Trentonian uh, and all kinds of events. It's actually funny and sad, uh, as journalism often is. Uh, but all kinds of events conspired against me uh, and made that not happen. Uh, but it is, I remember the first uh, Damon Runyon Award, and I'd actually another failure in life. I have still, it's about that high, the the first draft of a script for a, a screenplay on the life of Damon Runyon and how he grew up in Pueblo and all that stuff from the book Timberline when he was in Denver and then in New York. I think someday s someone is going to make an amazing uh, movie of Damon Runyon, and I just love the fact that he's remembered here and that he was indefatigable. I mean, he would, he would do anything to get uh, into a story, and his stories always were wrapped in character. And the character was a huge part of, of, of the story. Uh, in a funny way, that's kind of like politics. Uh, I loved Jimmy Breslin, was, was our first, I think, right? He was the first uh, Damon Runyon Award winner, and desperately wanted to be elected to political office. He ran once for city council. He ran for mayor of New York at one point. Uh, and yet we have somewhere here Kevin Flynn, who's a journalist who did run and is successfully now sitting on city council. Anyway, I, I'm going to do a quick welcome and just talk for one minute about the importance of, of, of journalism to democracy. 
and it, and it is a time when negative campaign ads diminish people's attention, diminish people's belief in all kinds of infrastructure, but especially government, uh, and is the disaggregation, the disintegration of all the old institutions, or so many of the old institutions of journalism, into all kinds of smaller entities, uh, we see less people reading and going deeper into a story. And they're content to get the surface almost like those little, I forget what they're called, but they glide along our streams. There's a special type of insect. Um, I, I, don't mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> the, the last thing any elected official should ever do is take a, 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 a liberty of whimsy in front of a bunch of journalists. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the internet has been both good and news for good and bad for news. Obviously, easier access, easier to share news, uh, but also easier to pass off rumors uh, as fact. Uh, you know, fewer people reading those stories in depth. Like I said, they're scanning the headlines so much as is Twitter and Facebook, where there's just a, a huge, uh, a huge emphasis on brevity and 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 not going into detail or context. And I really do, do think it erodes people's interest in civic affairs. And this whole grand experiment in democracy is based upon, I think, two basic things. One is, is empathy. People have to care about others. But also, people have to care about the facts and, and, and basic information of, of what is going on and, and who's doing what and what does it mean, uh, the basics of, of journalism. Uh, we were talking about Doris Kearns Goodwin a moment ago, and her book on Teddy Roosevelt has a couple of wonderful scenes where he would give his business card to journalists to go to the Department of Commerce or the Department of Transportation, and, his, and he'd write on the back of his business card, give this reporter unfettered access to all our files and all our personnel, because he believed that was the only way he could find out where the bad stuff <laughs> was happening. Uh, not quite the way typical journalists uh, operate today. And I will say I've fought many times for the right journalist. I've done that. But I'd be cautious with someone unless I knew them pretty well. Um, we did let Max Potter, who was my speechwriter, before he was my speechwriter, when he was writing for 5280, he followed us for a year in almost every meeting. I think out of the whole year, there was one meeting that was a, a real estate transaction the state was doing. But other than that, he came to every meeting. Uh, he kept waiting to get, you know, where's the dirt? Um, and at least that, that year, there was no dirt. Uh, I think in the digital universe, we need the old journalism more than ever. Uh, the challenge, obviously, is finding new revenue streams. Uh, how do we figure out ways to, in to in incentivize uh, real reporting? How do we reward those journalists, the, the journalists who really have tenacity and, and integrity? Uh, and I think that's what's great about this. We have Jill Abramson, who her reputation is not just national but international for you know, going to the heart of a story for uh, speaking truth to power. She's been a champion for many, many investigative journalists uh, and made sure that the kind of reporting that we're also celebrating tonight with Ken Armstrong and T. Christian Miller, that it gets done, that it has a home, that it, that has support. Uh, with Ken Armstrong and, and T. Christian Miller, that they were on competing uh, entities, to, uh, and yet at the end they end up collaborating and working together is, is a great story of, of maybe where the future of journalism, at least one thread, uh, can go. So I want to thank Jill and, and Ken and, and T.
uh, and all the journalists and editors here tonight. Uh, you know, all, I want to thank all the uh, scholarship recipients. Uh, don't get drawn away like I did. When you get that chance to be to go on the internship at whichever newspaper it is, uh, go for it. Uh, democracy is still a work in progress, but I can guarantee you one thing: if we don't have a strong a uh, strong journalistic core reporting what's out there in the long term, we will never succeed. So thanks to all of you. And now I'd like to bring up the president of the Denver Press Club, Bruce Goldberg's a pretty big deal. 11 years as president of the Denver Press Club and the passion and tenacity to get a room full of incredible journalists and pretty important people together for a pretty important cause. So please help me welcome Bruce. Thank you. Welcome to the 22nd Annual Damon Ronan Award Banquet. Um, the nation's oldest press club tonight will honor great reporter and editor Jill Abramson. <laughs> Tonight, we also do one of the best things we do every year, and that's to present your, the scholarship winners, uh, who in a total of $7,000 is what we award to them. And that's always a, a, very, a real feel-good uh, feeling. Well, okay. I do want to mention, uh, a lot of people have a misconception about the Denver Press Club. Membership is open to all. As we have jokingly say, if your check clears and you have a pulse, you're in. But the real point is not just open to media and journalists. We have, at the moment, about 380, 390 members from a wide variety of professions. And some of them are folks who may have used to be in journalism and then decided to get real jobs and make real money. Others are just supporters. They want to help the community and keep the Denver Press Club going. I will close with what I know you really came here for tonight. The top 10 items we could not get for the silent auction. Number 10, a hoverboard that won't catch on fire. Oh, you don't like that? You'll like this. Number nine, a degree from Trump University. Number eight, a pair of gloves small enough to fit Donald Trump's hands. Yes, you get that, yes. Number seven, a videotape of Ted Cruz repeating Michael Douglas's greatest movie lines. Number six, someone to protect Cam Newton from Von Miller. Number five, a two-night stay at the Aurora Hotel owned by that creepy voyeur. <laughs> we tried, we tried, but he was on the roof. Number four, an E. coli burrito from Chipotle. Oh, then you're not gonna like number three, an E. coli hamburger from Chipotle. Number two, a front row seat at Hulk Hogan's next sex tape event. And number one, Birth control classes from Bristol Palin. <laughs> and that's why I run for president every year. Thank you so much for coming. We welcome you to come back to the club tonight. It will be open after we leave here. Just when I thought the night couldn't get any better, Lynn Bartles mentioned me in a tweet. I have such a crush on her. She's so awesome. Okay, sorry. Just gotta say that. Hey, Lynn. Okay.
I would like to bring up now, and you've heard his name mentioned this evening, Kevin Flynn, a veteran of the Rocky Mountain News, of course, and RTD, who now serves on Denver City Council. He's going to be introducing us to the Alnacula Award winners for police reporting, explaining to us about the co-winners and who they are and what they did to win. Uh, Kevin, come on up. Thank you very much. Uh, as we're here to honor some of the hard-nosed uh, police reporting, some of the best in the nation, I just want to make note, I believe this is the 25th year that we have been giving out this National Police Reporting Award, named for our, our late colleague, Al Nacula, at the Rocky Mountain News. And I know, because like, I saw Rob Roydman, Becky Cantwell, and I know there's other folks. Are, are there folks here who worked with, still worked with Al? John, you worked with Al? John Rebchuk also. Uh, we talk about police reporters, we talk about investigative reporters, we talk about the impacts that they have on our lives, but I think they've been overtaken now by uh, the news teams that actually have much more impact on our lives, and that's the weather forecasters. I believe back in our day, we probably wouldn't even have written about this snowstorm, but as a result of it, and the panic that ensued, uh, I have to tell you that our uh, NACULA award winner could not make it in from Seattle uh, because of the flights uh, being canceled. So as a result, uh, in, his, in absentia, I am going to discuss uh, and tell you a little bit about what they did. Uh, so, you know, when I, when I covered city council for all those years, I thought, sat there at the press table, I was like, I could do better than that. I could do better than that. And so now here's my chance to prove that I was wrong. But I did want to make note of, and as uh, Bruce mentioned, some of my colleagues are here, but I wanted to be the first recovering journalist ever elected to the city council. But I have to say that I did not make it because Councilman Cashman, Paul Cashman, the longtime publisher and owner of the Washington Park Profile, was elected in the May election uh, outright, and I had a runoff. So Paul, you beat me to it. Congratulations. But working, uh, you know, working with Al, I think one of the, I'll just tell one story about him. Uh, you know, Al was one of those hard-nosed, hard-drinking reporters, and I think there's probably not a reporter today who could outdo him in both. Probably there are reporters who could outdo him in one or the other, but not in both. And uh, the one story I remember is in the old police building on Champa Street, uh, that there was an occasion where there was a brawl, I believe it was in the press room of the, of the police uh, headquarters, and he got thrown by another, by a colleague, he got thrown through a glass door, and the glass broke, and then the city sent the, uh, the bill to replace the glass, they sent it to the Rocky Mountain News, right? And if anybody knows how cheap Scripps is, you know how much they fought back. And I think the response on the part of the paper was that our reporter was not the perpetrator, he was the projectile. So they, they, refused, they refused to pay the bill. Uh, but the reason I bring that up in being on city council is quite serendipitously, this past week, the council passed a proclamation recognizing the public education campaign that's going on right now by a group that is called Start By Believing. It's a public education campaign aimed at having police agencies, having other responders start by believing reports of sexual assault. Start by believing. Uh, 
so just by, as I mentioned, just by serendipity, it turns out that the winners of this award, um, uh, Ken Armstrong and T. Christian Miller, the story for which they won was the story of a woman in the state of Washington who reported being raped and who was not believed and was prosecuted for that report, for filing false report. And subsequently, her, the serial rapist, who in fact had attacked her, was arrested here in Colorado. And the award-winning story began as independent efforts by two different nonprofit newsrooms, which are fast overtaking the traditional press in terms of their, their outreach, their ability, and their investigation. Ken Armstrong worked with, works with the Marshall Project, and T. Christian Miller works with ProPublica. And I know that there have been at least two, and, and if I'm wrong, somebody correct me, but there have been at least two and maybe three other NACULA award winners who came out of not the traditional press, but came out of this new nonprofit model of reporting. So in their, uh, in their effort, they brought this story to the public independently, working on it, and then suddenly discovering, uh, again, but quite by accident, that each of them was working on the story at the same time. Instead of rushing into print, which we would have done when we were competing with the Post, we found out the Post was working on some, we had to slap it in the paper right away. Instead, they called each other and said, why don't we work together and make this a joint effort? And they did. And so instead of being rushed into print and into publication, they worked together and came up with this award-winning uh, project. So I'm going to read what Ken, uh, Ken Armstrong was going to read here tonight. And so bear with me. These are his words, not mine. Last year in August, I received an email from Bill Keller, my boss at the Marshall Project. The email's first sentence, the sentence you see on your inbox screen before you actually open the email, had only two words. The two words were, oh shit. <laughs> Bill's an editor and editors do swear, right? They do, still. Uh, the good ones anyway, but still as opening lines go, that one seemed worrisome. Then I read the email and I understood. Bill had just learned from Joe Sexton, an editor at ProPublica, that ProPublica was chasing the same story that I had been working on for months. This story took place in two states. I've been working on it in Washington State with plans to go later to Colorado. T. Miller, a reporter with ProPublica, had been working on the story in Colorado with plans to go later to Washington. Well, T. crossed the state lines first and he discovered he had competition. And that's when something unusual happened. ProPublica could have torpedoed us by streamlining their work and taking whatever shortcuts were necessary to beat us into print. Instead, they reached out to us and asked if we wanted to work together. And I am so grateful that they did. Instead of competing, we collaborated. Instead of diminishing the story by rushing it into print, we elevated it by pulling our talents. We went from, oh shit, to, oh yeah, this is better. So first I want to thank ProPublica. But for this story, our greatest thanks go to Marie. Marie is the young woman who was raped in Washington, but wasn't believed. She was charged with filing a false police report, only to be vindicated two and a half years later. When the man who raped her was arrested in Colorado, it took seven months of emails and phone calls before Marie agreed to an interview with me. But she did agree, and she did so because she understood that by sharing her story, painful as it was, she could help others. 
We also have the detectives in Colorado to thank, principally Stacy Galbraith in Golden and Edna Hendershot in Westminster. Their work in solving this case was simply extraordinary. Of course, we also wanted to talk to the police in Linwood, Washington, the police who mishandled their investigation in a way that seems almost unthinkable. I asked the police in Linwood to sit down and talk, and they said no. So I asked again, and again, and again. And then something unusual happened. The Linwood police changed their mind and agreed to talk. They came to understand that it was important to own their mistake and to let other police departments learn from it. The Linwood police apologized for what they had done and pledged to do better, and I am so grateful that they did. If you heard their remorse, and maybe you did, if you listened to the version of this story we did on This American Life, there was little doubting their sincerity. The lead detective was shattered. Different people took different things away from this story, but the police I talked to afterwards said one thing that struck them was the refreshing absence of the bunker mentality. What struck them was seeing a commander and a sergeant and a detective all say, I'm sorry. These fellow police officers said they only wished that would happen more often, that we would all be the better for it. So thank you to the Denver Press Club, the University of Colorado for this award, and thank you to Al Nakula for showing the way, if, if even through a plate glass door. <laughs> police reporting is the best. I met my wife as a police reporter in a small town in Idaho, so I know. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Kevin, thank you. And we also want to thank Michelle Fulcher for coordinating the NACULA contest as well. Michelle, thank you. <laughs> this next part of the program is a really important part of our program uh, because we present the Damon Runyon Scholarship winners. The Denver Press Club has given scholarships to about 125 promising college journalists through the years. 125 scholarships, that's pretty incredible. Many of them working in newsrooms throughout Colorado right now. So our thanks go to John Enslin, who conceived of the idea of the Runyon Awards many years ago and who has joined us tonight. John, are you here? Where's John? Yes, great. Here to introduce the scholarship winners, Sadie Gurman of the Associated Press and formerly the Denver Post. Sadie, come on up. When the Press Club created the Runyon Award in October 1994, we also began honoring the best college journalism students in the state by supporting them with scholarships. The Runyon Scholarship goes to students who, true to the award's namesake, demonstrate a knack for storytelling and narrative in their journalism. Each fall, journalism professors at the following schools nominate their most promising writers. Colorado State University at Fort Collins, Colorado State Uni University at Pueblo, Metropolitan State University of Denver, the University of Colorado, the University of Denver, and the University of Northern Colorado. A panel of journalists and club members pick one finalist from each school. They also choose an overall winner. Each gets a scholarship and a ticket to the Runyon Banquet and a one-year membership to the Press Club. Starting in 2009, the overall winner receives the, two, receives the Tim Russert Scholarship named after the great NBC newsman who died just two months after being awarded the Runyon. 
Many of our scholarship winners have gone on to careers in journalism, such as Karen Crummy, John Ingold, Tim Skillern, Allison Sherry, Alex Neth, Amy Spear, Sarah Castellanos, and Elizabeth Hernandez of the Denver Post. Here are this year's Damon Runnin scholarship winners. Connor Davis from the University of Denver. <laughs> Keegan Pope from Colorado State University at Fort Collins. Sarah, Sarah Knuth? Knuth from Colorado State University at Pueblo. Allison McLaren from Metropolitan State University of Denver. Sam, Sam Shanfarber, who I'm told is not here, from University of Colorado. And Dylan Sanchez from the University of Northern Colorado. I think it's it. Good job, guys. <laughs> Sadie, thank you. And now it's my pleasure to introduce Rowena Allegria, not only a fellow journalist, but now an appointee of Mayor Michael Hancock's office here with a special presentation. Hi, everybody. I cannot tell you how happy I am to be here and to be called a journalist again. Many of you know that um, I was one of these kids standing up here when I started at the Denver Post as an intern um, just a few years ago. Uh, it, you know, now I've crossed over to the other side and God bless him, I got a job. So anyway, it's a pretty damn good job and I am here tonight on behalf of my boss, Mayor Michael B. Hancock, to read something um, that's pretty special for our guest of honor tonight. It's a proclamation from the city and county of Denver. Whereas Jill Abramson rose through the ranks to become the first female executive editor of the New York Times in 2011, woo woo. Whereas Jill Abramson is an accomplished author writing on subjects ranging from the confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas to a heartwarming piece on her beloved dog, Scout. And whereas Jill Abramson is known and respected in the field of journalism and has been candid in sharing her experiences as a female in this demanding field. And whereas Jill Abramson possesses the tenacity and determination common in all Damon Runyon winners, the quality known as Moxie, and whereas the Denver Press Club is honored to bestow the 22nd annual Damon Runyon Award on Jill Abramson for her outstanding contribution to the field of journalism. Now. Now, therefore, I, on behalf of Mayor Michael B. Hancock, Mayor of the City and County of Denver, Colorado, by virtue of the authority vested in me, do hereby officially proclaim April 16, 2016 to be known as Jill Abramson Day.
Thank you. And Bruce just wanted me to share that Keegan Pope was the winner of the overall scholarship. So each recipient will receive $1,000. Keegan Pope will receive a $2,000 scholarship. So congratulations. And now we're going to move on to our main event, really the moment that this evening builds toward the presentation of this year's Damon Runyon Award recipient. Here to introduce Jill Abramson is Leanne Colasiapo. She is now the interim editor of the Denver Post. Leanne. I think I'm gonna make that my new walk-on music. Sit down, you're rocking the boat, right? Okay, so this is perfect, given the ladies I've got sitting over there at the Denver Post table to be honoring Jill Abramson with those women, those wonderful women sitting over there and all through this, this room. You know, I have attended many of these banquets over the years, and I've seen some remarkable journalists honored for taking their craft to new heights. But this introduction is particularly special to me as we recognize the first woman to be named executive editor of the New York Times. One in a string of firsts for her. First class of women to live at Harvard Yard, first female New York Times Washington bureau chief, and more. For occupying the office of that executive editor, she is an inspiration to me and untold numbers of other women rising through the ranks of journalism today. I honor her for the work she did, mentoring and promoting women at the nation's preeminent newspaper. But there is so much more to why she should be honored with the, with the Damon Runyon Award. Let's just consider the story she oversaw in her time at the New York Times. She became managing editor there in 2003, so what have we seen? War, a catastrophic financial collapse, the election of the nation's first black president, the Arab Spring. And then after all of that, she was at the forefront as we began to grasp the massive challenge facing newspapers today. How do we not just survive, but how do we thrive? Jill spent 17 years at the New York Times. While there, she sought to find a way forward for all of us. And since then, she has continued that very important mission. Today, she is working on a book about the challenges we face and how online news gathering continues to shape the landscape of mainstream journalism. Our own John Enslin, he described her as having the moxie, perceptiveness, and creativity that make her a perfect choice for the Denver Press Club's Damon Runyon Award. I could not agree more. It is my pleasure to introduce a pioneer in modern American journalism, this year's award winner, Jill Abramson. Let's pull up a chair. Hi, John. Hi, Jill. How you doing? I'm great. What do you think of uh, our little club so far? Uh, the little club is uh, quite impressive. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, as are you. I was uh, really most impressed by the fact that they're in the old club building. 
uh, two bars. Uh, <laughs> you know, I thought, you know, at the great. moment, at yeah. the, just at the moment, maybe more to come, and uh, a really good-looking poker table and pool table. Yeah. Uh, looks like a perfect Damon Runyon kind of place. We kind of like it. But we kind of like you too, Jill. And um, as Leanne alluded to, I think you are the perfect Runyon winner for not just your accomplishments, but the spirit that has brought you along to this night here tonight. Um, so uh, we've agreed, you and I, rather than do a canned speech, uh, not that you would. I don't have a You don't have any speech. in the can. <laughs> but um, we decided you'd go the David Halberstam route. Uh, David decided, uh, bless his soul, uh, the conversation would be better than a speech. And uh, so did Cy Hirsch, by the way. And they Ed are Bradley. both idols of mine. Exactly. So let's talk. Um, you know, when Halberstam was here, one of the things I asked him was about his career in the South and how influential it was uh, in his later coverage. Of course, he covered the civil rights movement for a small paper, uh, I believe in Mississippi. Um, you had an interesting career in the South, too, early in your career, including working for a prospective candidate uh, for governor, as well as for an alternative paper, as I recall. I'm curious, what impact for someone like you, some quintessential New Yorker? New Yorker. New yeah. Yorker. <laughs> you know, someone who has a New York City subway token tattooed on you. That's true. Um, what, what impact did those years working in the American South have on you and your perspective in your career? Well, at the, the time that I went to live in South Carolina for two years, uh, I described it to my incredulous uh, New York relatives as my Peace Corps years. <laughs> uh, um, the, I, we were just talking at the, the dinner table tonight about the fact that when I would meet people, uh, especially politicians in South Carolina, and they would ask me where I was from, although with this voice, they could have guessed. True. Uh, they would say, you know, I'm from New York, I had gone to Harvard for college, and they would look at me and just say, then why are you here? <laughs> but, you know, I, I loved the, you know, this is gonna sound strange because it's not really a word. I loved the placiness of the South and the fact that most of the people that I got to know in South Carolina never left the state. They had little desire to, but they just, Love the history of the place, even the very, you know, difficult and contentious and tragic parts of their history. But it was very present to them. And they loved politics in a way that even coming from New York, I had never seen. I mean, talking about politics substituted for gossip. It's what people would sit on their front porches on a hot evening talking about politics to death. And because I was starting out writing about politics, I was actually covering uh, Strom Thurmond's re-election campaign 
1978, which was of course billed as probably his last campaign, which it so wasn't. <laughs> uh, but you know, he was traveling around the state in a Winnebago with his wife, who had been a beauty pageant uh, winner, and their four beautiful little toe-headed children. And this was supposed to give the illusion that he was still very young and vigorous. And so I sort of followed the Winnebago from the littlest towns to the largest cities in South Carolina and, and got a, a, a completely different political education, but a fantastic one. Excellent. Hey, as Leanne mentioned, you are, without a doubt, a great advocate for women in our profession. I mean, empathetic and supportive. Um, you were just introduced by a woman who is currently at the helm, acting helm of the Denver Post. Yeah, um, I don't like this acting. Yeah, I don't either. Let's all. just can we just get I mean, rid of that? Yeah, take that off. I don't. I don't think so. Take, yeah, I think we could dispense <laughs> with that. Um, but what, how do you think we're doing uh, as an industry with respect to women in leadership roles in our business? In leadership roles, not so hot. Uh, there are actually fewer women uh, at the top, either as editor-in-chiefs, executive editors, or news directors, or think about, we had some, you know, you honored Katie Couric. Uh, back at that point, you know, we had Katie and Christiane Amanpour, and it was just lots of women anchors. And, uh, you know, Diane Sawyer was still in the anchor's right. chair. Uh, where did they go? Uh, so at the top in the, you know, most visible and highly remunerated and important positions, it's actually, uh, we've seen some constriction rather than growth. And uh, that's distressing. Uh, what makes me optimistic and Leanne was nice enough to introduce me to this fantastic cast of women who work with her at, at the Post, is that you know, if you go out on the campaign trail, uh, it's the girls on the bus, not the boys on the bus. Interesting. And uh, you know, some, of, some of the women who are you know, covering the candidates, uh, every day are there there a lot of them are quite young and they're great uh you know i'm thinking of uh the the times has uh amy chozik who's fantastic and maggie haberman and you know buzzfeed has ruby kramer and uh you know uh, other young uh young political reporters who are really you know seeing the candidates in a way that I think Damon Runyon would appreciate. Because not only are they filing the real time, you know, little scooplets about what's going on inside the campaigns and the latest charges and counter charges, but they are stepping back and really trying to tell us who these characters are. And boy, do we have a set of characters oh, this yeah, time. For sure. So, for sure. So I'm optimistic about who's coming up. And I think eventually we are going to you know, see a different picture at the top. Okay. Uh, 
Good. I, you know, I was rereading some of the profiles that have been written about you, Ken Oletta's work in particular, um, and he brings up the fact that a lot of people uh, over the years have described you and your news management style as brusque. Uh, brusque and abrasive is the word that keep coming yeah. up. Now, I'll be, I'm going to go on the record here. Uh, I consider those to be ridiculously sexist labels. Ridiculously. All right? I mean, I say that as a guy who's worked for a number of great editors, some of whom could be real SOBs, but they had to be in the situation in which in the crucible of the daily newspaper. Um, but here's my question, twofold. Do you think there's a double standard when it comes to women in journalism? And secondly, what is your management style? How would you describe <laughs> it? Um, I'll, I'll take the, the first uh, part of your question. Uh, I, I don't think it's just journalism. I think there is a double standard applied to women who are in powerful positions in any profession. And, you know, I, I'm not saying this just out of personal experience. Uh, there are many studies that have done, been done by Harvard Business School, other places that show the higher a woman rises in an organization, the more disliked she is. It's like the, the ratio is just Right. Going that way, where, you know, the qualities that you just said, I'm glad you said they're sexist, you know, too aggressive, too brusque, too shrill. Those same qualities, when applied to male leaders, are seen as leaderly. Uh, so if that isn't a double standard, I don't know what is. So how so, would you describe your style then? I would describe it as what I have always tried to do is inspire the people who work for me to do the best storytelling they can possibly do. Uh, and to do it sometimes with humor, um, sometimes under pressure, probably I can be brusque uh, because you're working under pressure and in a hurry. Um, but, you know, I think that, that I had, you know, a, a management style that was not always predictable to the people who work for me, and that might have been a problem, but I don't think anyone ever doubted my commitment to producing the best journalism that could possibly be produced either when I worked at the Wall Street Journal and had management jobs or at the Times. And the, the proof is there. Clearly the proof is there. Hey, uh, when Pete Hamill came to Denver to accept his Damon Runyon Award, he had just been removed as the editor of the New York Daily News. And I remember asking him as we went around Lodo that day, um, you know, Pete, do you have another newspaper in you? Are you going to try to be an editor someplace else? And he looked at me and he said, no. He says, I want to write books. Mm -hmm. And he went on, to as you know, some to write some ones. brilliant books. I think uh, Damon himself would have really liked a drinking line. I uh, happen to know that, yeah. Um, but here's my question for you. I mean, do you have another newspaper in you, do you think? I definitely do not. Okay. 
You are working on a book. I'm working on a book. I'm writing a political column that has brought me back to the things I love, reporting and writing, and trying to use. I, I've covered presidential campaigns going back to 1976. Uh, and the column is a great outlet for me to try to reach back to some of the crazy shit that I've seen <laughs> and shed light on what's going on now. Exactly. I feel liberated to curse because of the previous uh, remark. Okay, so. good. <laughs> All right, hey, um, we honored uh, the best police reporting in the country tonight with the Al Nackhill Award. Al was a friend of mine, an amazing reporter. Um, as you heard from my colleague Kevin, it was the award went this year to the Marshall Project, right. headed by your former colleague Bill Keller, and ProPublica. Which to, I'm on the board of. And you're on the board so. of. I did not know that. Um, the fact that, to me, it was striking that two online news organizations won this award. What does it say to you that the, and I was a judge this year, the, I gotta tell you, the quality of work turned in by both legacy papers and these two was outstanding. And it was a difficult choice, as some of my fellow judges mm -hmm. will tell you. But what do you think it says that what does it say to you, the fact that two online news organizations, both with kind of a, a non-profit business model, did this kind of work and took this award? Well, one, one of the, the salutary aspects of the digital world that we now all live in is that journalism itself has actually become more collaborative. The you know, idea in Runyon's time or later in A.J. Liebling's time or even in Gay Talisa's time at Esquire of sort of the lone wolf reporter just there with his notepad, it doesn't, you know, really work in an age of multimedia storytelling where, you know, every major story really requires a team of people. Uh, whether it's graphics and photos and video and motion graphics. Uh, you know, you can't really do something of large impact by yourself anymore. And so, you know, I think that that in some ways has encouraged collaboration between news organizations. and. While I think this one is is definitely special and definitely deserving of, of your award, I'm thinking of things like I was involved in the, the WikiLeaks coverage, which was involved a consortium of news organizations globally. It was Le Monde and El Pais and German news organizations, and of course, The Guardian uh, leading the way. Yeah, uh, and it's complicated to to work in collaboration with other news organizations. But when we have you know stories like the Panama Papers involving literally millions of documents, you need you need a consortium because no one actually has the muscles and ability to go through all of that by themselves in a timely way. You know, during your tenure at the Times, you put the paper, very clearly put the paper in a direction 
of producing some terrific online multimedia reporting. I mean, I think a snowfall is right. a classic example, but so much more than that. You, you kind of created a template that I think is still very evident in the paper's online presentation today. But here's my question to you, Jill. How do you think we as an industry in general at large are doing in terms of using the internet digital reporting tools that are at our disposal now? Well, you know, I think in an era where people are reading with their thumbs, uh, <laughs> what, you know, journalists and news organizations are doing well is providing information and news in real time uh, so much more quickly than even two years ago. Uh, and, you know, people now are used, they want to know about what happened really at the same instant that it's happening. And that's been an adjustment, but I think by and large, especially seeing places like the New York Times and the Washington Post actually become not only digital first, but mobile first, that, you know, that's, that's a plus. Uh, You know, I, I, what I worry about is that that topicality and the desire to have everything be instantaneous has taken away from deep analysis, uh, going even deeper and broader with your reporting, like really bringing out the characters and motivations of the people who are at the center of stories, that some of that just you know, doesn't have time to be reported out, and that, that worries me. Okay, yeah. a, a related question. I mean, we are in the midst of an insanely crazy campaign season. I think that's fair to say. Um, social media has played a huge part in it. So has online reportage. What do you, how do you think we're doing on this? Well, you know, again, it's a, a mixed picture. I think uh, the national political reporters were slow in recognizing that Donald Trump was a serious uh, candidate uh, who had a, has a serious chance of still being the Republican nominee, uh, you know, the Huffington Post in the beginning decided to put all the stories about Trump in the entertainment right, section. Right, I remember. And, you know, I can't so long ago disagree now. with that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it sort of was a way of uh, turning up one's nose about just the seriousness of his political endeavor. And... You know, I think that it's unfortunate. You know, I think of, again, I don't want to seem like I'm pandering to your group, but what made Damon Runyon so great, especially when he got to New York and was, you know, a boulevardier on Broadway, is that he was really close to the people that he was writing about. And I just don't think that many reporters in the National Press Corps new Trump voters or were talking to them. So that the depth of the anger in the country right now like wasn't as evident to them as, as it should be. Tonight you have met five of our six Runyon scholars. 
Um, and I'm very proud that they've been able to s share the stage with you. Uh, all of them have shown a knack for narrative in their work. That's why they That's got fantastic. this. That's yeah. fantastic. So uh, here's my question. What would be your advice to these young people? My advice is, so as I, I teach a journalism class uh, back at my alma mater, Harvard, and a lot of the students in my class want to go into journalism and are gifted narrative writers. And you know what I say to any young people who are like that is, if you have a passion for it, you've got to fo follow your dreams. And there are jobs. They're, they might not be perfect, and they might not afford you right away the experience of getting out of the office and doing real reporting uh, because so many starting jobs involve, you know, I've been in many of the new digital newsrooms and it's, you know, young people sitting at these long tables and many of them are just scraping content off of the internet and rewriting it and trying to repackage it in a way that will be clickbait and generate a huge audience. But you know, a lot of those uh, places also do investigative reporting and all kinds of enterprise journalism so that you know, if you can get through uh, the tediousness of some of those early jobs that are not going to give you the best journalism experience possible, but hang in there and show your talent, uh, you know, the, the path is still there. Uh, great storytelling is a human need. There's a hunger for storytelling. Uh, we can see, see that. You know, we can see that this and, you know, how many of you are actually sacrificing this night when you could be home, you know, basically, you know, binge watching uh, <laughs> House of Cards or whatever. That, you know, th those are, th the popularity of those shows are part of this hunger for stories. And, you know, journalists are the most gifted at telling those stories. Uh, and, you know, you see so much life in the profession. Uh, I was so happy to have, you know, the four-hour four flight out here because I actually read the New New Yorker cover to cover. And, I mean, it's the best time you could have. And, you know, I, I forget the year that Maureen Dowd won the, the award here, but she often said, as absolutely true about the New York Times, she would say, it's the best time you can have for a dollar. And <laughs> now, unfortunately, in New York, it's uh, 250, but uh, it's still the best time you can have for 250. Great. Hey, one last question, and then we're going to wrap up our talk here. Um, and I got this question from a colleague at the Denver Post who, like myself, has worked a number of years in the business at a legacy paper. And um, I wonder about this, too. I've worked really hard since the Rocky Mountain News folded in 2009. I've worked really hard at developing the digital skills that are necessary today and, you know, and bring that 
into my daily practice of reporting. Uh, what would be your advice? This is kind of the flip side of that mm -hmm. question. What would be your advice to reporters of my generation who are trying to get their footing in a world that's changing every day in terms of our business? You know, I think I would, my advice would be collaborate with younger people in your newsroom for whom all of those skills are native. They just, they grew up with them. They, you know, are amazingly imaginative about how to use them and they're is a lot to learn. It's not some mysterious, unfathomable, unfathomable set of uh, skills. Uh, and I bet you use social media to promote your work I and do. promote the work of colleagues. I do. To, so, you know, it's, it's not a great leap from there to producing, you know, a snowfall because you are a fantastic storyteller and you have an eye for the narrative that is gonna be gripping and a story that no one can put down. But that story can't live now only in print and only in words. And, you know, I don't think it's realistic to expect older journalists to on their own know you know, how to organically build in, you know, multimedia story techniques to deepen the story, but your younger colleagues do. So, you know, don't have an attitude like these younger people are telling me what to do. I've seen some of that in newsrooms. Uh, you know, be, be, be a good colleague. Good advice. Jill, I gotta tell you what a pleasure it is having this conversation with you and welcoming you to Denver. And now I'm going to ask Denver Press Club Bruce Goldberg to come up and make a brief okay, presentation. Okay, I just wanted to add one thing. Sure. A final pander. <laughs> I was one of Adelaide's girls in a camp performance of Guys and Dolls. That's cool. And you know, as I always tell people, you can't get enough stubby K in there. <laughs> yeah. Bruce? That's quite a qualification. And thank you for rocking the boat the many times that you have. We have a traditional gift that we give to our running award winner. Um, I'll try to one hand this. A beautiful watch. Oh, wow. Not obtained on Times Square from somebody with many watches. <laughs> and it says, to Jill Abramson for Timeless Journalism, um, Denver Press Club logo and the date on the back. That's and beautiful. this will come to you. And let me package up nicely so that. Nicely, nicely. Yes, exactly. Very good. Okay. Thank you so much for coming out. It's been a fantastic night, and I've loved being with all of you. Thank you.